I'm here in Austin, Texas at Icon's 3D printed house with Belinda and Chance Carr. And we're going to talk a little bit about our time in this 3D printed house here, what we think about the design, the styling, uh, and as architects, Belinda and Chance have so much knowledge and perspective to bring to the table. So I really want to thank you guys so much for uh, joining me today and taking the time to have this conversation. Thank you for organizing this. You set all this up and invited us. Really appreciate it. Well, I've seen a lot of your videos and I've always appreciated your critical analysis of the various topics you cover all in construction, uh, whether it be windows or insulation methods, you're always bringing a critical eye to the the table and the new YouTube channel you guys have together, Car Builds. Yes. Uh, following your real estate investments and your uh, home renovations is uh, pretty cool to see all that transparently online. And your stuff's incredible too. I mean, you found a niche and you're exploring it, and it's I think it's the only dedicated 3D printed channel on YouTube. For now, someone For now. will come along and do better than me eventually. But, uh, until but you'll then, be the first. Yes. First to market. Yeah, they won't be able to take that away from me. <laughs> so, what do you think so far? We've been here for like three hours. Um, now that it's a little bit lived in, cracked a couple ranch waters, IPAs. Had some pizza, yeah. What do we think of this house? Pretty incredible. Um, I don't know if I had it. I had some expectations coming in. Design expectations from the exterior from all the exterior photos that I've seen and from all your drone footage and it's met those expectations. It's very elegant on the outside the contrast between the painted white 3D printed concrete and the black metal exterior on the upper floors is beautiful. It's a beautiful contrast and it fits in with the rest of the community here because there are other houses with metal cladding so there's some sort of design aesthetic going on over here and it's um it's very uh, modern farmhouse style i guess you mm -hmm. would call it um but on the interior as well i love that they have the walls exposed so you appreciate it not when you have the you have some of the perfect prints but you have the imperfections as well that's just it's display it's on display it's i'm sure there are some people who would um, not like the imperfections, mm -hmm. would prefer it to be smooth plaster, but as designers or as architects, I really appreciate that they embraced it. They didn't try to cover it up. Um, and overall, the house seems very well sealed, not just the lower concrete portion, but even the stick built upstairs. Very well sealed. The windows are very well sealed. It's a very impressive house. Yeah. yeah. I agree. I don't know if, if when you say well sealed, if that means maybe it's too well sealed. Too well sealed. Because we have the uh, air things detector, which shows that there's a high level of carbon dioxide. Um, and so we feel like maybe some more air needs to be circulated. Yeah. But the maybe windows I'm aren't just talking too much. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> but so we had another person here. We were having uh, a couple beers and pizza and I guess as we were all there talking, uh, the room kind of filled with carbon dioxide as your device was able to detect. Yes, and it did spike. We saw it decrease? Not yet. Okay. Not yet, no. Um, it might because she, she has since left. And it just depends on what the HVAC unit does, how many air changes per hour mm -hmm. are in the space. But it, because it's so airtight, you always have this disadvantage of 
extra pressure on your HVAC unit and you have to size it accordingly. One thing I just noticed actually was the bathroom. The bathroom upstairs does not have an exhaust. This one doesn't either. Which is really surprising because you want to circulate yeah. that air out. I know in my brother-in-law's home, uh, their house is all spray foam. And the, uh, the builder said, hey, you need to run that exhaust a lot because that'll move oh. some of that air out. Yeah. And it's surprising that they don't have them at all here. Mm -hmm. And they, have, they seem to have one return vent upstairs. I haven't seen a return vent downstairs. No. So that's a little bit of a concern. That's an exhaust vent? Or that's it's just supply. a that's supply? That's a, a supply grid. Yeah. supposed yeah. to return. Yes. Yeah. But you can tell, like today in Austin was a really windy day. And right when you walked in, I mean, it's just silent. The sound as well. This, the noise insulation is wonderful. Mm. It's like it's deadening. Yes. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, a lot of the projects I've visited where it's just concrete everywhere, there's so much reverb and the audio mm. is terrible. But I guess having the ceiling and carpet around some furniture. Yeah. That's true. Furniture. Mm -hmm. Some soft surfaces, like the furniture, obviously yeah. that helps. Yeah. Speaking of furniture, we also have high VOC levels right now in this house, which is normal for a new house with new furniture. Everything around us is off-gassing. Um, so there's something to consider with every new home that is very well sealed. You need to vent it, ventilate it properly for the first 30 days, at least, that you're living in there. So. Yeah. It's interesting. Usually a well-sealed home is a good thing, right? You, yeah. You want a well-sealed home, but there are some precautions you need to take, I guess. It's pitched as a good thing nowadays. I mean, that's what everybody wants is, oh, I want the well-sealed home. I want the spray home. But you have to realize what that entails as well. There's exactly. not, having a home that's breezy is not bad. Mm -hmm. It's not necessarily a bad thing. Yeah. Because a home works as a system. So if you have no insulation on your outside walls and you have wood studs and a very breezy home, it's okay because if there's any moisture in your walls, it doesn't get trapped over there. Mm -hmm. It evaporates and it moves to the outside. And that's why there's no mold in all these old homes. But once you spray foam those walls in that old home and you don't have return vents, then you are changing the way the house works. Because the house works as a system. You can't change one thing and expect the house to work the same way. So you have to think of all these different components together. That's why when you renovate an old home, they don't recommend you just put spray foam in it because then you're going to seal it up and it's intended to be Breathable. a home that breathes. Yeah. Yeah. People talk about 3D printing a lot and say like it's going to save 90% of the time or 90% of the whatever, but it's, I mean, you guys know it's not the whole house. It's a small part. It's just the exterior walls, right? Yes. Exactly. It can be more in the future, I think, but yeah, for now it's just an exterior wall. And then like with this house, for example, it's just stick built upstairs. Yeah. Which is not a bad thing. I mean, at least they're doing something. At least they're experimenting with the idea. I appreciate that. Yeah. And the joints between the drywall and the 3D print, printed part, I, I was very impressed with those joints. Um, like for, in some areas, they had an intentional overlap, especially on the outside, which mm -hmm. is a beautiful detail. They didn't try to make the, the metal siding flush with the concrete. I'm glad they didn't do that. They offset it a little bit or they have canopies or there's some distinction between the upper floor and the lower floor which is needed on the inside sometimes they try to make it flush and it's a little bit rough in those areas but for the most part they did they did try to 
they tr try to work that, uh, that that barrier between the smooth finish of the drywall and the rough finish of the 3D printed concrete. It's silica. Like, over there, that's probably just drywall mud. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Spackle. Yeah. Drywall mud between that mm. that joint right there. Yeah. It's also interesting how you have to make. Belinda and I were talking about this earlier. You have to make a conscious decision when you're designing this home about... It's almost like designing a minimalist home where you have to... They want to hide everything or it just be as minimal as possible when you go into the space. But it still has everything that every other home has. It has your electrical. It has your plumbing. But you have to make those decisions more intentionally in a 3D printed home because you can't necessarily tear up the concrete. Like this wall back here. They built out this... They furred out this wall so that they could run the vent from... The, the kitchen, kitchen island up that wall without actually having to go into mm -hmm. the uh, concrete. Yeah, at electrical, water supply, drainage, and the vent. Mm -hmm. All of those hidden in that in that bump out. So that's a very intentional yeah. design decision. Or even something as simple as switches, like wiring that is so much easier putting it on a drywall yeah. wall as opposed to actually embedding it into the concrete like they did some of these electrical switches. And that, that's when you see the imperfections because these plates are not secured. They're flimsy. You can, you can move them around. Um, or just like we were talking about with the, the lady who was here earlier said she, she had ants coming through one of her receptacles because it was not completely sealed. Yeah. You guys take a much more critical eye than I do. <laughs> I saw these outlets and I thought they looked great because the printed lines aren't like messed up around them. A lot of times I'll see they're just really sloppy because when it, the concrete was wet, they cut something out and they like, there's usually something scrappy around it. So I, I actually thought those looked good, but... That one, that one is... Yeah, that one's loose. Yeah, it yeah. shouldn't be loose like that. And there are some gaps between in the cabinets from the ceiling. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, but that's something you have to expect and embrace and, and like... With these windows, they framed it out with an extra piece of concrete around. They put the lintel on top, which is metal, and then the concrete around the sides because the way the 3D printed turns that corner, it's always pretty sloppy. Yeah, another point. unique design consideration. Every time they go up a layer, there's a point where they have to go from the one layer to the next. So there's a an ugly yes. kind of increase. They had to hide that somewhere, and I haven't seen it in this house, so I'd imagine it's either... Uh, Outside? Maybe on the outside, maybe it's in between one of these windows. Uh, so Yeah, it okay. could be right there because it's kind of a double wall where it mm -hmm. turns. I wonder if they put it on the interior. But that's interesting. I Do you think they do it all in the same spot? Or do you think they try to hide it continuously like, oh, we'll start this layer here. We'll start the next layer here so that it won't all be in one location. Usually they'll do it all in one spot. Sometimes they'll stagger it so it's 10 or 20 centimeters away from the last one. Um, but generally, it's all in one place. Hmm. It's something that hasn't been optimized yet. Yeah. So I wouldn't say what they're doing now is necessarily the best route forward uh, with anything that involves like a new technology, right? Yeah. It could be something that they, they figure out how to cover up that detail. Maybe it's at a window or something where they know they're going to put some framing around it. Mm -hmm. I wonder about these windows. Are they custom windows? Did they because obviously when you're printing you're not gonna get it to the perfect rough opening. So they and they put these concrete pieces. Did they they did they make up that rough opening in the thickness of the concrete pieces? I did, don't know. Did they have to 
cut up some concrete in Did order to hit it? that opening? It doesn't look yeah. like they cut up any concrete. It looks like, I don't know. It's I'm a great sure. question. Most of the houses I've seen have had thicker window frames, so they've had two or even three two by fours framing out around the uh, printed wall. But here they've left very little uh, margin, mm -hmm. so there's like a very thin bezel. Uh, either good planning or custom windows. I don't know. Yeah. And I know it's it's not a bad thing, but when you look at the windows, that's where you see the imperfections. But like you think of three D printed as being perfect, it's every layer stacks on top of it. Made perfectly. by a machine, so it has yes. to be perfect. Yeah, but then you take into account weight and gravity, things like that, and you can see the imperfections. But you also kind of embrace it. It's yeah. it's an educational tool. A lot of times around the corners, when you have that change in acceleration, it rattles the gantry system, and then you end up with uh, that rattle alters the path of the extruder head, and you get some kind of inconsistency. And sometimes it's a regular inconsistency, like you can see the other side of, I think it's that wall, where on the outside there's like a wavy pattern that is continuous from top to bottom. Okay, didn't notice that. Check it out in the morning. So I wonder if that's where they hid all the stopping points that you talked about, right there, right where the, where that concrete right. thing is, right, right behind that. I yeah. can see it being there at the front door or somewhere, somewhere they know that they're going to cover it up. But they're all separate pieces. This is not one continuous print. Because oh, there's that wall, there's a break there. That's true. There's this, uh, that might be a continuous piece. Yeah. But then that, there. it's three different pieces. And then there's that wall right where the, the stair is. Straight across, yep. So it's three different 3D printed walls. There's a complete brick right there. True. So they had to have three different stopping points. I'm guessing one is over there and one was hidden back there in the... I'm just pointing at stuff, you don't know what I'm pointing <laughs> at. So one's by the window, one's in this half bath downstairs. Another stopping point might be by the front door. I don't know what the other stopping point is, but... <laughs> why, why couldn't they have just gone another layer up why couldn't oh. they have just gone to the second floor is that a, a constraint of the tool i've seen two-story printed homes in other countries germany yeah yeah they have an apartment building that's actually three stories two stories print and then they have a, a house that's two stories you know i think it's partially a permitting thing it was easier for them to uh get rights to print this Maybe, I mean, I don't know. It's it's challenging when you can't rely on the structural integrity of the printed wall. Creating that floor, the second floor, is a challenge. Uh, because you kind of have to, these, these floor members, floor joists, have to overlap over the 3D printed concrete. Right. And then you continue the print over that. Yeah. So that's, that's a tricky So joint. you'd have to have some sort of joist hanger if it was printed all the way up. And yeah. that would have to be inset as they're printing, exactly. like an ICF house or something. Exactly, yes. So with an ICF home, they notch out the yeah. block. So that's what they would have to do with this house. They print the outer layer continuous, and then the inner layer stops. They have a, a floor joist, and then they continue over that. But as Jarrett was saying earlier, they can't rely on the 3d printed strength of that yeah the, yeah the structural integrity of that yeah. which is is surprising to me because you're missing out on so much yeah but that's i think that's the codes that are lagging behind yes it's i think the material is there uh the technology is getting there but 
as always, anything to do with the government and the courts, that's always years, years behind. And, and it's sad. It really is sad. You can't exploit the technology for what it can really do because you have to comply with all these outdated codes. I guess the architect's responsible for uh, abiding by a code. Yes. Yes. So most architects will operate in like a limited region. I mean, technically, everyone has to abide that code. Engineers, architects, builders, everyone has so to So everyone has, code. you have a building code, you have an engineer's code, plumbing code, electrical code, all that stuff. But the architects are kind of telling everyone what to do, right, in the drawings? Uh, not They really. try to, they not how to do it. But. Yeah. but the architects are not going to know the spacing they need for electrical wiring or what the size sizing pipe the they unit. need. Yeah, but they will the know the spacing the for the studs. No. Well, well, it's like twenty-four or sixteen. They'll just give a, a typical detail yeah. for that. The contractor's like, "Yeah, I know. I know. I know what I'm doing. Don't listen to the architect." I know so the architect's not really so responsible for the specific zoning and the permitting of the region. That's team effort. Well, the architect is responsible for gathering the documents. So the engineer, the plumber, the it, everyone else sends their drawings. Their which comply with the codes, mm -hmm. sends their drawings to the architect. Okay. The architect compiles the drawings and sends it to the city to get a permit. Mm -hmm. So they, they themselves, the architect follows the building code codes, but then they trust every, all the other subs to follow their own codes. So most architects, I guess, like you said earlier, you kind of already answered this, but would operate in a specific region with similar you wouldn't just jump into some new town you never worked in before unless you were like a specialty architect or is that common? Well, the building code's pretty, it, it's called the International Building Code, so it's pretty generic. There are some uh, specifications that are different from state to state, like as a licensed architect, which we are not, just to be clear. Um, we're not even architects, we're architectural designers. Just we're trained case. as architects. <laughs> we're not cool. allowed to call ourselves architects. True. Uh, but like from state to state, you have to be registered as an architect in that state, okay. and that's due to their specific building codes and requirements. Yeah. Or just even like small as an engineer, tweaks in each, yeah, or as an engineer, small yeah. tweaks in each state. But it's all pretty similar. Yeah. But I mean, a builder for a house like this is going to be very niche, as opposed to a builder that's going to do the second floor, a stick build kind of. But that that has to do with the builder, as opposed to the architect. Yeah, architects can draw anything really. I guess the reason I ask is mostly about addressing the scalability questions. Like, if they can print a house, then you naturally jump to, can you copy and paste a house if it can be printed? And so then, can you copy and paste a house and put it anywhere? Code seems to be the limiting factor to that in permitting. And maybe, from my perspective, that's been why construction companies in the past haven't had a huge level of scalability in the industry stayed fragmented, specialized in a region where they understand the code and the permitting. But I guess maybe it's more uh, international and cookie cutter than I thought. The the last thing architects want to do is copy and paste a house because they want each and everything to be unique yeah. and individual. And to an extent, like you wouldn't want to build the same, that was a fly. Just <laughs> You wouldn't want to build the same house in Miami, Florida, a very humid climate, that you would in Phoenix, Arizona. Very different style of homes. One that one a house like this would work great in Phoenix, but in uh, Florida, it would be very humid, and these concrete walls would hold that humidity. And I'd be very interested. That brings up something that we were talking about earlier: how you don't get mold in older houses, but in well-sealed homes, 
you don't get mold because the water doesn't seep through. But if there is a leak somewhere, that mold will build fast and it gets stuck behind the wall. I wonder how this house deals with moisture because the concrete is on the outside. What's in between? Mm -hmm. We don't know. We know it's some sort of insulation. We're speculating that it's foam of some sort, maybe not spray foam. EPS of some sort. Yeah, but water could seep through that. And what does that do to the interior? So you're saying like an old home that's drafty maybe might get water inside, but because of the air, the water will just dry out and it's not a problem. Exactly. But if it has really well, if it's well insulated and then just one little leak happens into the well insulated part, the water could stay there for a really extended period of time. Yes. Because Which, this concrete wall is acting as an air barrier, a vapor barrier and a water barrier. All three. And yes, it is a double wall with insulation in the middle, but you have to be careful that the water is not trapped in between those two walls. I, I don't think it's going to be because it's, it's concrete. Um, but just going back to what you were saying earlier about 3D pin concrete in Arizona, given the desert climate there and the red sand, I would, I would be wary about building a white home like this with all the grooves because of all how much it can get stained, possibly, yeah, over a long period of time. You wouldn't paint it white. No, you wouldn't. Yeah. But like with all the adobe homes that they have there, it's more of like a sand color, na mm. natural color that you don't, you don't notice the aging over a long period. You so I wonder if in Arizona they could create their own sort of aggregate of... With local materials. Yeah, with local materials. And it's sort of like the, the adobe home. Is that what it's called? The, the sandbag the, home? Yeah, that's different because like we talked, uh, talked about earlier, when you're 3D printing stuff, you can't just use any aggregate because you, you're putting this material through a nozzle. Right. It, can get, it can get clumped up and block that nozzle. You can't use any local sand or aggregate or any of that. Earthbag homes are much more versatile in that sense mm -hmm. because you can just use whatever local materials, pack it into a bag. And but it's more labor intensive. It's much more labor intensive for sure. But with the 3D printed home, there's a specific ratio, specific ingredients that you need to follow irrespective of where you're building it. Yeah. So Jared, do you think any company will ever be... Funny I say this, the Tesla of 3D printed printing where they release their compound and they're they're okay with saying, hey, Public everybody use this. It's fine. Kind of like Elon Musk did with Tesla. Vertigo released their mix. They uh have I'm not sure exactly where it is, but you could find the ingredients, the vertical mix. And also there's a law with concrete that if you buy concrete from any provider they need to provide you with an ingredient list. So it's a uh, mandatory if you're a client of theirs for them to tell you exactly what the material mm. includes. Wow. Interesting. Where's Vertigo based? In the Netherlands, okay. in uh, Eindhoven. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, maybe that's one of the reasons companies are hesitant to invest in developing the material because it can just be kind of like taken so easily. Yeah. Um, There's nothing proprietary about it, that's what you're saying? I would imagine they can get uh, rights to the mix, like patent on the, the chemicals, but in terms, you have to have transparency in the 
ingredients of concrete when somebody's buying it for a construction project. So it can be replicated with slight tweaks by someone else. Yeah, it's not like the Coca-Cola formula where they have like secret <laughs> or the KFC, right? Yeah, the yeah. KFC or the Krabby Spices. Patty secret sauce. The what? You never watched SpongeBob the Krabby Patties? No, no was. <laughs> I think I've probably seen that. Oh, <laughs> I've watched a little bit of SpongeBob. But does it really matter? Like the like, how much does it really matter what each person's putting in their, each company's putting in their three D printed house? Yeah, I mean that's a great question. I think some of the companies have taken the model like the traditional printing model, where they want to sell a cheaper printer and then have an expensive material where they can make profit off that in the long run. So it might be everything. It might be it might matter a lot to them. I don't know. Mm. So Belinda's mentioned there's only. A, couple of companies that actually make, make the, the 3d printers everyone else is just using their either the cobalt printer or an apis core printer or something or like this is the what's the name of this printer not falcon what's the name the vulcan 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 falcon yeah so the <laughs> icon makes printers apis core makes printers construction 3d makes printers 20 makes printers um cbay makes printers vertigo makes printers hyperion makes a printer amt <laughs> makes a printer uh, Skepta makes a printer, Nature Eco, Mudbots. Okay, I take that back. <laughs> Lots of people make printers. Probably two dozen. Okay. <laughs> okay. And then there are... Okay, it's, I guess it's still it's still a few compared to the number of people actually printing. Because they're just renting yeah. on these printers and then yeah. printing homes for it. When you make the people actually printing, if you say like who's actually completed a home, then you're right. It's really only a couple, couple yeah. models of printer. It's just weird to me because like the 3D printer that you put in your house, it was always pitched as this. I mean, Belinda's 3D printer is one that you could buy the parts for, put it together yourself and then start printing. Like it's nobody. It's reality. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. like, it's, um, what's, what's the word? It's like open end, open, open, open source. source. Yeah. And you bought it in pieces. Yeah. Yeah. I did a similar thing. It's a, what, like four, eight hour journey. Yeah. Yeah. Four to eight hour. Mm-hmm. But is do you think these companies are a little scared of other people realizing that, oh, it's just a kit yeah, of parts that I can put together and I can start printing? But if that were the case, then it could scale and it could really lower the price of what it costs to print one of these homes and maybe, what, solve homelessness? That would be the ideal scenario. It's like, I think when I first got into it, that was my naive hope that like 3D printing might solve homelessness. Um, can anything really solve homelessness? Don't ask That's, an architect. That. Don't ask. Because <laughs> they'll say shipping containers can. <laughs> so, Doc, coming back to the like the PLA printers that you were talking about, the home three D printers. Um, so, Creality and all these big companies started printing, but then there was this one guy. I think what's the name of that? Andre Rudenko. No, it starts with P. Prusa. Prusa. That's the printer I have. Okay, so that's like the the hacker printer. Um, you can buy this part and that part and then put it together the way you want and make your own custom printer. He's the guy who tweeted my... Oh, okay. Like, Ooh, Prusa tweeted my video. No but way. anyway, yeah, Joseph Prusa. Um, okay, stop being silly. Um, yeah, so maybe someone like that comes up, like a Joseph Prusa for 3D printed homes where you can buy this gantry and this nozzle and print... Mm-hmm set up the of course this whole different scale it's like $150,000 versus $150 it's kind of scary to think you put that power in the homeowner's hands 
what are they going to do with it? My favorite part of the Prusa Prusa, I think I always say it wrong, but Prusa. Okay. I don't know how to say it right, but he says that any printer you buy, you can always upgrade with just the parts. So that's how he he designed it. So you like replace one part, put another mm-hmm. part in, and then. It's not like your MacBook where it's it's expired after your your iPhone where yeah. you need to get a new one. You can just replace the one piece that you're missing or upgrade whatever you need to. I think that's really it's uh, just consider it. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, down the road of right to repair. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's just efficient. Like those kind of things just make sense. A long term mm-hmm. approach rather than short term. Absolutely. Mm. So besides three D printing. You've taken down a lot of technologies on your channel. Um, taken down or brought awareness to? Notably, <laughs> container homes. You really like brought a lot of the the realities to light. Um, are there any looking ahead, maybe promising solutions or for for housing and construction? Um, or do you think that? we've kind of lost our way a little bit with all this experimentation and the traditional methods might have been the way to go. No, no, I think experimentation is needed. I think as we've seen over the last couple of months, that we really need automation in the construction industry. It is desperately needed. We have relied so heavily on manual labor for so long just because it's difficult to automate everything that goes into building a house. But... I'm for 3D printing. I think that is a good step. And you kind of mentioned this in one of your videos. We don't know what the future 3D printed house is going to be. Maybe it's not for the house itself. Maybe it's something completely different. Because And, and I don't know what it's going to be, but we have to go through this period of tri- trial and error and experimentation and failures and all that stuff to figure out what the next phase is. I don't think timber frame homes and... Uh, what cutting down your own trees and your forest and and shaping it into logs and building your own home is the answer definitely not i would love to do that (laughs) how much how much is your time worth (laughs) was it like floki um in um vikings vikings he built his own boat out of all the trees that surrounded his house but that's incredible floki floki that's Elon Musk's dog's name. <laughs> oh. That's Ragnar's friend, foe. Yeah. Was that the Shibu Inu? Yeah, but somebody else made one because Elon Musk got some new dog, like some Shiba Inu, like hybrid mixed dog or something. Okay. And he named it Floki, and then like of course a day later someone made like a new cryptocurrency Floki, and it's up like a million percent. We could have been billionaires if we just invested in Floki <laughs> last week. Mm. I saw that. Now that you say that. The next Solana. Solana. We're talking about real solutions, not fictitious. <laughs> you never do crypto videos. I don't do crypto videos, no. I'm, I'm so cynical about shipping containers. Imagine me making a video about a crypto. You know, what's ironic is that you made a video and you praised shipping containers being used as crypto mining. I did. Stations. Yeah, that's true. No one wants to watch that video. YouTube's not going to push that. 
push the stupid video with a scam on it. YouTube's so funny about yes. what it pushes and what it doesn't. Like, it's so unpredictable. It's crazy. Yeah. And then it's like six months later, hey, we decided to push this video. I don't even remember making that video, but thank you. Okay. For me, it's frustrating because I put in a lot of effort to travel to the locations, like everywhere I visit, go to the house. But my two biggest videos I've ever done are just voiceover videos <laughs> that I did at home sitting at a desk behind a computer with footage someone emailed to me. Like they took maybe probably less time than all my other videos, but the yeah. something about but I think the video I did in this house is really gonna perform well because the lighting was just optimal and the I think the audio quality was there. I just think everything is gonna align for this one. We'll see. Hope so. Yeah. You're gonna get it out in the next 12 hours, right? You said Maybe, we'll see. I <laughs> did prepare a video to launch tomorrow just in case I don't finish it. So, oh, okay. Well, I'll I have some Ooh, You're better prepared than I am. I'm just like I was supposed to release it last week and then I'm panicking and then 30 minutes after I export it I'm just like, okay, get it up. I don't want to see it anymore. Which is a very very bad approach. I know. I yeah. overthink everything. I don't know what's a good approach or a bad approach. I mean, I, some people take breaks, some people are consistent. I miss uh, weeks all the time, so. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Just do, don't sacrifice your mental health for the sake of YouTube videos. But what it's if that would get me double the views? <laughs> <laughs> I might be crazy, but I have double the views, it's okay. <laughs> I feel like, it, depending on like the level of, I would sacrifice some level of my mental health for <laughs> double views. I would. <laughs> One percent, sure. Five percent, why not? <laughs> Ten, twenty. But I don't think I have to sacrifice too much mental health to make videos. I feel like it's like I'm lucky to be able to do this. So. Sounds like you're having fun. Sounds like you got some great experiences as well. Yeah. Are you having fun? I am. Yeah. I wish I would travel more like like you do, but at the same time, I I like being at home and um, like being in Dallas and doing my own thing. Being on the road, what you said, 50 weeks out of the year, mm -hmm. seems exhausting. I don't know if I could do that. Yeah, it's a lot sometimes, but it's, uh, I feel like they're building 3D printed houses so fast now, I'm not gonna get to them all in time unless I keep going. <laughs> so. I didn't realize there was so much out there already that you've already seen. Mm -hmm. Yeah. amazing. And there's a lot of missing still. I think I'm going to stay in America for like a year or so, let some more projects pop up in Europe and then head back over there next year and hopefully get a bunch done all at once. We'll see. What are your future, uh, any big plans for the channel coming up that you're allowed to talk about? No plans. Uh, spray foam. <laughs> so I've visited a spray foam factory back in April and we're now almost in November and I still haven't edited that damn video <laughs> Did you have to wear like health protective PPE or no 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 we didn't Not I, toxic. I actually wore the same outfit the red, red shirt. I've got like five shirts. So I just like <laughs> um, But you probably do too since you're living out of your car true. Yeah, minimal, I, minimal. I go home maybe like four times a year or so and I'll like trade a couple shirts with my brother so that the people on the internet don't see this. Oh, I forgot I was still running. Whoops. Okay. I would run out. Oh, okay. 
Sorry, yeah. you can do I it. I try to like switch it up a little bit so that I'm not wearing the same. Don't go too far away, you're gonna be out of frame. Yeah. Okay. Sorry, I interrupted you. It's fine. Just talking about shirts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you have to pack pretty light to be able to be on the road all the time. Yes. Yes, I do. Are you exhausted? Um, no, I wouldn't say I'm exhausted. I, uh, am eager for, like, more. And I'm, I feel like I've been getting towards my goals enough to keep me motivated, but there's still so much between where I am and where I want to be. So it's just, gotta go. No time to, uh... Stop. Yeah. Do it for as long as you can. The energy you have now, you're not going to get that back. I sound like I'm 40. You do. 50. You act I'm like it sometimes tired. too. I'm so tired. <laughs> what I really like is the days where everything goes like terrible. Like when I'm driving, like one time my wheel cracked off the axle while I was driving oh. and it just started wobbling, wobbling. I drove another like two hours just trying to like figure out. I finally take it into a shop and the guy's like, it's totally detached. We just like pull it off the car. And I was, I had an appointment, I was late to it, whatever, but it's like, when the moments that are difficult, it's like, these are the times, this is why I have the channel, because somebody else wouldn't have gone through that difficult mm. moment or whatever that, or I don't know if you've ever been like recording and then the audio's messed up or like something and just that gets in the way. Like, just, I lost a memory card. Yeah. Yeah. That's brutal. <laughs> <laughs> We're still waiting for that. <laughs> just disappeared. Those are the moments that make winners. Mm. Yeah, it's a good, good point. Just keep going. I try to relish those moments. Just appreciate the opportunity to be miserable and about them. <laughs> You're new to your uh, YouTube journey now, Chance. What Absolutely. Do you, what yeah. do you think getting started? How many videos are on the channel now? No, we we have a few podcasts actually that we did. Every once in a while, we would just talk about how cynical we are about everything. Just you two? Yeah. That's yeah, just us. Um, and then we realized, hey, if we if we re react to videos, it would be a little bit more popular. Probably. So we did that. And then we were like, let's just do the podcast thing again. And now we're renovating a house. So uh, we've definitely made some progress on it. But uh, I've been slacking a little bit. So I'll get around to it. Uh, but it's just sort of a fun thing. It's something... Something for us to document our journey. It's nothing serious. It's not like yeah. we're, we're trying to be monetize that channel and become house flippers or anything like that. It's just something that 10 years down the line, we can look back and watch those videos and say, hey, that's how we did this stuff. You know, like like a sentimental, nostalgic thing. Yeah. It's, not, it's not something that yeah, we're, we're trying definitely to use on. We're not teaching people anything new. No. Because basically... There every, are much better channels you can learn yeah. from. Absolutely. Yeah. But it's it's our journey and we like to have fun with it. Yeah. So it's it's also an opportunity for people to get to know Belinda's uh more informal side because she's always very straight to the point with her videos and so we do this like that. That's how it's supposed to be. <laughs> people appreciate that about your videos, I think. Absolutely. Yeah, they do. Yeah. I uh tried to start a second channel just to do print videos like just a time lapse of a print or like with no audio or voiceover I'm not in the video uh, 
it hasn't really taken off though. We'll see. No. Maybe I'll put music behind it or something. I don't know. I was thinking it was like ASMR kind of, mm. but the sound is like, yeah, <laughs> not exactly what you want. <laughs> it's tough keeping up with more than one channel. Yeah, I don't know why people do it. Really, it's like Evan and Caitlin. They've got like six channels. Yeah, I'm not sure what know. the point is of it. I mean, we did it because other people do it, kind of. I guess we didn't want. All this mixed content on Belinda's channel, mm-hmm. um, but I don't really understand why people like make that break. Is it because they've they've monetized their channel and they've basically sold out on their main channel and they're like, okay, I want to start fresh with this other channel and I don't want I don't want to I want to hold on to it. I sometimes wish I had put my podcast on a different channel, and I think mm-hmm. most of the reason people do it, the reason I want to do it is algorithm differences. So if your algorithm learns people who like house tours, they want to keep showing them those house tours. But if I then all of a sudden go do a podcast, hour-long podcast, it messes the algorithm because they don't know who wants to watch which. That algae rhythm. (laughs) So important, so mysterious. Please, the algorithm, God. What do you want from me? It's been working for you. Oh, gosh. I don't know. What kind of animal did you have to sacrifice? (laughs) (laughs) My soul. No, I, I don't know. I just don't know what happened. The last two weeks have been... Yeah, it was funny. We were looking, we were thinking, hey, maybe by the end of the year you can hit 100,000. And then she hit 100,000. And then seven days later, she hit 150,000. We're like... So crazy. Okay. I didn't do anything different. How many subscribers? A month ago you had 70,000? 70? 80? 80, probably. Now it's like 160? Yeah. Double. Yeah. I... That's fine. Thank you. I think I first saw your channel when you had like 20, low 20,000s. Last year, yeah. Mm. I think it started the pandemic. I'm yeah. still working as a BIM manager, yep. a BIM coordinator. Yep. It was a whole lifetime ago. Mm-hmm. Mm. Time flies when there's a global pandemic. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's the hard thing about that I faced with, with this YouTube thing. It's like, is it a career? Is it a long-term thing? Is it sustainable? This is something I want to do 10 years from now. That's why I, I kept going back to an eight to five or, and then coming back and doing, trying to do this at the same time, which is absolutely impossible because it's a full-time job doing, making all these videos. And then I would get frustrated because I wasn't feeling fulfilled and then come back to this and now I think I've been doing this for four months. Frustrated at the eight to five. Frustrated with myself. Fulfilled. Frustrated that I couldn't balance the eight to five and the YouTube things. But which fulfilled you more? The YouTube thing, obviously. Like I wasn't being challenged at the eight to five. I wasn't learning anything new. But I feel like I can learn something new every day with this YouTube channel. And I think that's something really important with, with this YouTube thing. Do it for yourself. Don't try to... Don't start this whole thing with, with the intention of doing it for the audience. Because then you'll, you'll never be satisfied. Like with you, you, have, you seem to have this burning desire to learn as much as you can about 3D printing. Visit every house out there. So yeah, the views are important. The audience is important. But it's also your personal growth. And I think that is extreme, that should, that should be your grounding reason for why you're doing this. So 
because otherwise you just it's it's you get lost you're lost you're like why am i doing this anymore a lot of people that know me much better than you know me don't see that and they don't really understand they're like oh you're trying to get views like but it's you're totally right like it's about the i knew going into it that having a youtube channel would help the companies be more willing to talk to me. Mm -hmm. So like, if anything, it's more of like an access tool. Yeah. Absolutely. It's a stepping stone to whatever the next thing is. It's a, you're marketing yourself. Yeah, that's definitely a a byproduct of, uh, YouTube's great. I mean, all the ancillary benefits and stuff, and even like supportive comments and like, feels good when people are, Oh, nice video. Yeah. Thanks. But don't let that get to you. Because you'll have like a hundred good comments and then there's that one comment that just hits you and you're like, oh, why do I pay attention to any of this? Yeah, I think I haven't ever had a video on YouTube with over a million views. And I think when you're really small still, you, you don't get a lot of comments. So you have that core group of people like cheering you on. Yeah, it's mostly kindness. Yeah. But I guess when you, you have a couple of videos that are like multi, multi millions and then it's just like total strangers yeah. flowing in from YouTube. They're like, yep. You clicked on it, dude. Why are you cursing yeah. me out? <laughs> yeah. Got to block all that out somehow. It's, it's pretty amazing that people can block that kind of stuff out yeah. because there are some pretty terrible people out there. Uh, whether they made it or not, but it it's pretty amazing that uh, so many people have the ability to just continue and keep going and push through that. But I think you face that no matter what you do. Like, it's not just social media or building a digital business. When you're successful. Yeah, when you reach some amount of success, then it's like, um, then that envy or hatred or something comes out in people. Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos, whatever. When they were small, it was, hey, we're cheering you on, we're cheering you on. You hit that mark and then suddenly it's like, no, 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 no. You shouldn't be making that much money. We don't like you anymore. You're too famous. This is not right. Hmm. Yeah. I, uh, I mean, ideally, I want my YouTube channel to grow. And so I don't want to say like I want that problem. But I get that'll like come with the things that I do want. So I guess to just like prepare for it. Yeah. yeah. For me, it was like, hey, I have like 2000 subscribers and this bloody shipping container video goes viral. And then overnight, it's like, how dare you Indian tell me what a scam is and you're the actual scam. And it's just like overnight, something in me had to like wrap my head around this whole thing and realize what I want to turn off, what I want to keep listening to. Do I really want to keep doing this anymore? But it was a good wake-up call. That's, uh, very good. like Jared was saying earlier, it's it's the character you build is from how you deal with adversity. Mm-hmm. That's true. That's very true. It, it aged really well, too, because when you made that video, shipping containers were like two to $5,000 a container. Yeah. Now they're like fifteen twenty thousand dollars $20,000. It's, it's amazing how many people have actually come out to Belinda and been like, you're right. There are you got people, more and more right. There are, there are people who work for shipping container conversion companies who've come out and said, I hate this freaking idea and I still work for the company. So I say, thanks. Okay. I'm glad I haven't heard any 3D printing people say that. 
Most of them are pretty happy to be like working on technology future stuff. Yeah. For now, we'll see. Okay, what else are you going to talk about? This conversation's gone all over the place. All over the place. Podcast. 90% of people clicked away in the first five minutes, anyways. So. Oh. Thanks to whoever's sticking around. Got some ranch water. Sour radio. Do you think you'll cover uh, more 3D printed buildings in the future? Well, we know one that will be covered. So we're going to Calgary in three days to see the Fibonacci house. Never been to Canada before, so we're excited about that. It's going to be cold. Yes. We're going so, in November. <clears throat> so that'll be exciting. Um, but I don't know. Maybe. The I don't think that that'll be the only thing I do, like what, what you do. I think I'm still interested in other building science stuff. But, but yeah, maybe can cover some, some more projects. I know your channel initially, or at least the banner that you, uh, your automation. YouTube banner is automation. I know. Like, what does shipping container have to do with automation? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, so I've changed the banner now. So yeah. it says the art of building science. Shipping containers are probably constructed with automation in a factory's. Yeah. By humans. Really? It's manual. There's nothing automated about that. Oh, the, you're saying the actual construction yeah, yeah, of the, the shipping container. Ah. Yeah. There we go. That's automation. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Welding's pretty automated as is. Yeah. You hook it up to a machine, press a button. Oh, did you go to the Netherlands recently? I went to the Netherlands this past summer. Did you see that? Oh. I didn't see MX3D. See the, oh. uh, I was in Amsterdam like two weeks before they put that bridge up. So they, that was built by a welding robot. So that's why I thought of that because of what oh, you okay. said. MX3D. Yeah. Never been to Amsterdam. He's been to Amsterdam. Yep. One night in Amsterdam is all you need. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds naughty. I spent one night too many in Amsterdam. <laughs> I honestly liked the other parts of the Netherlands way more than Amsterdam. Um, Amsterdam was like really touristy. Uh, and the rest of the Netherlands just had like really great mentality. Like I, Of all the places in Europe, I think they had their culturally maybe the most similar to Americans in that they like really appreciate their liberties and like their uh, independence or something I don't know exactly uh, if I'm putting it clearly enough but like I don't know I just liked the Netherlands well the Dutch were one of the first to separate from the church let's say they were became more secular earlier it was all about trading and unions so maybe that's that's in their lineage makes sense in the DNA what other parts of uh, the Netherlands did you go to? I was in um, Eindhoven. I was in um, Ulfs, which is like a tiny little city uh, where Seabay is, and Amsterdam, that's it. Okay. I went to Rotterdam and Almere and Utrecht, I think, the capital. Um, oh no, Den Haag is the capital, I think. And then Amsterdam as well. But yeah, I, I agree. Like Amsterdam has the old city. It's more the traditional Dutch. But everywhere else you go, you see the modern architecture, which is really awesome. 
picking up architecture around this area. Looks like it's been gentrified. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of modern architecture, kind of like this house. Seems like they picked a, picked a good spot to build this. Yeah, I wonder why. We're in East Austin. Yeah. Like the whole area when we went to drive down the MLK Boulevard, it's, it's just rows and rows of ex- experimental architecture. Very cool. It's nice to see. Okay. So probably like two hundred thousand dollars five years ago, and now they're like yeah. a million. Yeah. Well, what do you? What kind of architectural considerations, if you were tasked with designing a home to be built with this method, would you would you make? Architectural considerations, if you were using a three D. Concrete printer. Yeah. And if you come up with one and get bored thinking, maybe come up with one that's uh, for like just design purposes and then one for value. If well, you have for, the capacity for okay. two. For one, I've kind of talked about this in one of our, my previous videos, but we have this idea of like a central service core where you have all the electrical, plumbing and everything f- like feeding out of that central core. And I think a 3D printed home would be perfect in that aspect because like you have this undulating um, facade on the outside, like it does whatever it wants and it doesn't, it's not permanent. Like with this home, if you can see in the background, the, the kitchen is up against the concrete which could be a problem when you want to renovate the kitchen. So if you have this free-form free form facade that does whatever it wants and then everything is on the inside, the bathrooms, the kitchen, so you have this freedom to remodel, tweak stuff if you want down the line and then the facade is just something you appreciate for what it is. I don't know about like integrating electrical work because that's something you have to do. Maybe it's like it's actually in the ground rather than the wall. And there are many houses that do that, that have ground electrical. So I would love for the wall to be just bare. Don't try to integrate electrical or plumbing into the wall because it doesn't really work. So clap lights? Clap lights. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's, uh, that is one of the five uh, pillars of modern architecture. The open going back floor to architecture plan. School now. Yeah. You build the core. I mean, Le Corbusier, uh, Villa Savoie is the best example of this. You build the core, and then your facade is free to do what it wants. It's so not you even build structural. The space around it. Yeah. Yeah. Which with this, it could be structural, but I think that internal core. But we're we're big fans of actually educating the homeowner to where they can understand how their house works, and I think having that internal core be accessible would help the uh, consumer understand their their plumbing, their HVAC, and then be able to change things if they want to, while still having that structural, that solid exterior, well-sealed home on the outside. Mm-hmm. Kind of like a Prusa printer. Change out parts when you want, modify it the way it's not permanent. Like something like a kitchen up against a concrete wall is really permanent. It's intimidating to change. So if you have something that's changeable on the inside. It's mm-hmm. not It's not so scary. Did you ever see that design for the modular phone they were supposed to build where you like yeah. take the camera off and the battery? I think so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We talked about that, the modular phone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That sounds a lot like the concept you're talking mm-hmm. about. Yeah. They got bought by Google and never happened. It's <laughs> also the, uh, the new computer that's out. It's modular where you can actually 
um, take it apart and it's like a right to re- repair computer you can replace all the parts we're big advocates for the homeowner being able to understand their home and fix it themselves yeah I like the right to repair movement that's maybe my biggest uh, complaint about Tesla I, I would say they don't really offer any repair assistance yeah so I'm, I'm working on a video right now about planned obsolescence um, and the, the one very interesting um, argument against fixing Teslas is that cars nowadays are more software than hardware. So in the, in the past, you could tinker with the car and make it do what you want. And is it racist to say? Yeah, don't say that. Don't say that. Okay. Okay. So in the past, you could tinker with the cars. You have all like the Fast and Furious movies where they have all these customized cars. Like a Honda with a big uh, souped up spoiler and exhaust. Yeah. But nowadays, cars are software. I think Elon Musk actually called a car um, a high-tech computer on wheels. Something like that. Something along those lines. Because electric vehicles have so much... <clears throat> so software-heavy. Fewer parts. So yeah, many so many fewer parts. parts. So I think... Uh, I saw this very read this very interesting article that said, right now people are frustrated with not being able to modify Teslas, but down the line, just like with computers, they're not going to be able to, so that desire to modify a car is going to die out. Yeah. So like in the past, computers, you could tinker with it. But now everything's like sorted together, it's unibody yeah. designs. So you kind of, you give up. You're like, okay, a computer is what it is. Buy it, replace it in three years. So that's the same thing that's happening to cars. But that was just an argument that I thought was interesting. Yeah, I mean, I guess if it's a scenario where you don't have to modify it and so you choose not to or you don't, I, if that makes sense to me, I agree with that. But there's other scenarios with other technologies where it's like, they choose to use a weird screw head where you only the company mm-hmm. can unlock the screw and it's like they're only allowing they just want to make more money rather yeah. than let you get the most use out of your product mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and the eu really cracks down on on stuff like that the us not so much they call it what anti-competitive or right to repair all that stuff but the us doesn't really care about yeah, we have those McDonald's ice cream machines that are like made to break down. <laughs> That's a lawsuit now. They, uh, they're suing the company that made them because they purposely apparently made them break all the time so they can have to repair. Or the iPhone battery that like degrades over mm-hmm. time. I don't know if that's actually what it is, but yeah, something of that sort. Your old iPhones slow down when the new mm-hmm. iPhones come out or something. Yeah, that was a big lawsuit too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Next, it's like Icon slowing their printers down. (laughs) They don't even sell printers yet. Charge by the hour. (laughs) Yeah, that's the one thing I'm really wary of. It's companies that want you to only use their material. Like, what if they change the prices of the material? Then you made a half million dollar investment and historic recording. Oh, okay. I was like, is that okay? But yeah, if a company or the same thing like the Prusa you were saying... Um, is the printer modular enough to be upgraded or is it going to be obsolete when they come up with a new model in two years? When all you need to do is really replace the Mm. printer head and that's it. That reminds me of like laminate flooring, click together flooring. You can never find that same (laughs) type of flooring so you have to go replace all of your floors. Something as simple as that. That's a good point. (laughs) 
Looking at the ceiling. Yeah, this is probably like 270 LVT, 270 foot. Yeah. I've done flooring like this, but not on the ceiling. Nope. <laughs> you think it really is the same? It looks like the same I think product. it is, yeah. It, it looks fine. It looks good. Interesting. It's How? It's, How did they... It's ceiling shit nail guns? The glue that they use for the flooring is so unbelievably sticky. They use that on the ceiling too. And it's like a fast setting thing. Like you mix it and put it on the floor and then you have 60 or 60 minutes, something like that to get the, oh. you wait for it to become tacky. And then it's like a very short time frame. It's very sticky. And then when you have to tear that up, it's an absolute mess. We tried to do that. Yeah, we tore a little bit up. By okay. hand? Yeah. Yeah. Little crowbar. <laughs> That's it. Yeah, they have these things you sit on and it just kind of like shimmies the mm. under it. Those are nice, but they're super expensive. Good for commercial projects. That's your construction demo background coming out there. I like how they did all the hardware kind of uniform. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a very farmhouse, farmhouse style. Is yeah. that uh, Chip and Joanna-esque? They kind of so this is the new shiplap, <laughs> concrete layers, this is the new shiplap. I'd love that to be the new shiplap, because it means everybody's using a new technology, yeah. trying new things out, mm -hmm. experiment with it. I'm tired of stick-built homes. I would like to see people embrace other technologies, do other things. It's a lot easier to just throw up some shiplap, though. It is. Yeah. I would imagine in a few years, at some point, this wall will just turn into a shiplap wall. I hope not. It'll be interesting to see, like, decades from now, how the legacy of 3D printing has yeah. stood up in construction. If anything, they would put shotcrete on this and smoothen it out. I, I see that happening. But will it be Or if it becomes a historic building that can't be touched, and I hope that happens. It could be, okay, that's just the stages of his, historic buildings. Could be someone putting shotcrete and smoothing this out, and then another 50 to 100 years from now, chipping it off, chipping it all off to get the original layers and then restore it to the original home. I, that could that would definitely happen. This is a really bad candidate for shotcrete because there's like plus or minus almost two inches. Yeah. <laughs> so you'd have to have so much yeah. material yeah. to get it to be straight. You have to conform whatever's sticking out the most. It all needs to be that far from the wall. Mm -hmm. It is pretty amazing to be sitting in a house that is one of one. I mean, it's it's very one of four. yeah. What? Oh yeah. <laughs> but there are very few homes like this, and in the future, this could turn into a historic site yeah. because of that. I mean, it's unless Icon loads up that G code file again and <laughs> just does good. it again. Yeah. But but no house, no other house is going to be this way with the imperfections it has and everything that they went through. This was the first round. Very true. So the next house is going to be a little bit cleaner. It's not going to have the same bumps. It's not going to. It, it's going to be slightly different. It won't be this way. Hopefully they don't go down the mighty built route and just take things away. <laughs> take things away. Yeah. Hide it all. Like their, the printing. their first the printing, printing was was a complete house, and then it just less and less and less mm, over time. Did you notice the little icon anchor above the ring? Yes. It said like zero 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 eighteen. Which one? The little circle above the, the ring light. The, the medallion. Yeah. The okay. medallion. It says eighteen at the bottom. Did you see that? 
Is oh, that, like is the eighteenth house they built? Maybe. Oh, them. I guess those the small houses they build. Yeah, they have six there. those small houses, and I guess I I gotta check the other houses here. This is number two, so you figure there must be a six, seventeen. This is eighteen, and a nineteen and a twenty. So that's four minus six in the other places in Austin. So that's ten. So that means there's another uh, ten homes in Mexico potentially. I don't know. I don't know how many they built down there. Yeah, or what they're doing their number numbering based off of. Yeah. But this is eighteen for what that's worth. That's cool. Has Icon always been a three D printed company? Three D printing company. Mm-hmm. How long have they been around? There's a picture of their CTO Alex Larue uh, from I think like twenty early twenty seventeen maybe twenty sixteen, um, in a yellow raincoat in college with. Uh, like a printer that he built out of two by fours, he made just like basically a closet, a three D printed closet size, full height, uh, really sloppy looking layers, but he made it work, concrete and, uh, yeah, raised. I mean, they just raised two hundred seven million. They're probably either at or very close to a billion dollar valuation at this point. When are they going public? Good question. <laughs> um. If I asked them, they'd probably say, don't put that in the video. <laughs> they wouldn't tell me anyway, though. They're very, that's top secret for NDAs. Yeah. Investors probably don't even know. Who knows? They'll go via SPAC. <laughs> Everyone does Maybe. <laughs> yeah. I, uh... Pharmaceutical company? Like the 3D printed company? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I should buy at least one share, right? Yeah. If they're reasonably priced. But who knows? Maybe, uh... I like value companies that are generating revenue. So I'd like to, the 100 house project Icon does, um, I think that'll be big. A lot of the issues with this technology has to do with economies of scale. So if you're only making enough concrete for one home, such a tiny batch size, you're going to be paying extra for the custom mix. Mm -hmm. If it becomes something common, are you doing 100 homes? Now you have the economies of scale to, you're only moving the printer to location once. Your team is trained now. They know how to print a house. I mean, if they've only printed 18 houses, even if they're using the same team every time, they can't be that experienced. Right? Yeah. So once they do 100, I guess at that point, if they do another 100 soon after, they probably made a lot of money. If they don't, uh, maybe not, but they'll be the first. So, we'll, they'll, yeah. so unless someone beats them to it. Yeah, I. Uh, the last question I want to ask is, what other kind of like realms of uh, speculative construction technologies are there? So there's like three D printing, containers. We'll say as category, um, maybe like modular prefab. Offsite. Yeah. Offsite. Is there? Are there other categories we can come up with? Like offsite has been the hot topic for the last twenty years, and they've never taken off. If they can somehow merge robotics into offsite construction, and offsite is such a broad topic, you can just it can be anything. Like they print three D printed houses offsite and then assemble it on site, can mean anything. Um, apart from that, I would say look to Europe. 
Europe is always... That's what I thought too. But remember I talked to that guy last week and he said, look to China, not Europe. Oh, yeah. Okay, look further east. Look further east. Look to China. They're... I didn't know that. I, I thought, look to Europe. That's what, I, that's what I always thought. They're the ones at the, like the bleeding edge of design. But it seems like, from what I've been told, China is the one that's trying to push technology, automation, and all that stuff. I wonder what impact uh, automation in driving will have on off-site prefab. Because if you have vehicles that can autonomously deliver, does that reduce the cost enough that it makes sense to then print off-site? Mm-hmm. Is that a large cost? Though? Shipping, I yeah. Wonder. Shipping a one truck across the country is thousand thousand dollars. But even if the truck is autonomous, you're still paying for diesel. Doesn't for batteries, electricity, yeah. Yeah. Still energy though. Energy still cost. Energy. So yeah, you're right. The shipping costs are the big concern when it comes to offsite building. Um. What about bio-based? Like, what? I think that's always going to be a niche thing. I always is... imagined you could like plant a seed that would just grow into a house. Like, <laughs> that's a tree house. A tree that's built <laughs> to be to have plumbing <laughs> or something. There are just too many components yeah. for it to be a large-scale thing. Like even if this, the blocks that you build your house with are bio-based, the wires aren't. Your plumbing is still PVC which is petroleum based and it's I mean it, it's exciting I think it would be it would it would make us rethink flooring and wall finishes if anything but not entire construction methods yeah. we're not going to rethink uh, copper for electrical wiring yeah a bio-based copper material mm-hmm. <laughs> no. nothing's as good of a conductor unless uh. you go to silver so I spoke to a I don't even remember what company there is now. So I spoke to some company last week that said that they are, they, the walls of their home can be the battery. They're going to have solar panels on the roof and then the energy is going to be stored in the walls of the home. As a, and I asked them to repeat it. A capacitor? <laughs> it has... I was like, so the walls store electricity? Yes. Did they say it stores electricity? Yes. Because I know I've heard of people referring to just big concrete structures as a battery in terms of like it heats up throughout the day and then it releases that yeah. heat. No, 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 no. Walls are connected to solar panels. Charging up <laughs> as a battery. Don't touch your walls. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds dangerous. I saw a guy making furniture, like bonsai furniture. Like he planted a tree. And then use wires and stuff to fold it so that it would go into a chair. Mm. Oh, wow. Wow. That's what made me think of like the house thing. Like That's true. Maybe you plant four trees and those are the <laughs> something. I don't know. Wait it's, 50 years and then you get your house. It's Frank Lloyd Wright's organic architecture realized. Mm-hmm. Truly organic. Have you ever dove into like the tree house construction? Now they do like the pulleys so that while the trees are growing, you can adjust like, each corner of the building and have the... Oh. Mm-mm. Yeah, so tree out like the trees always growing, moving. Um, some of them are built right on the ground, so they have columns from the ground and they're just high up. But other tree houses are suspended with pulleys, so that you, when the tree grows, you just adjust and compensate for the. Wow. Hmm. So if you guys are born to build a tree house. 
Yeah, I think we uh, covered a lot of topics. Thank you for taking the time to talk about this stuff with me. Absolutely. Thanks for fun. having us here. Cool. Make sure to check out Belinda's channel, Chance's channel. Uh, I'll leave links to those in the description. And uh, thanks for joining us. Cool. That was great. Good, good job. Yeah. I'm glad you joined us, Chance. You had yeah, a